Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Uh, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional owners of the land from which 3CR transmits people-powered radio. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we showcase one of the 12-step programs that assists recovery from drugs, alcohol, gambling and food addictions. Our guests share the recovery story and highlight that shared experience saves lives. Uh, I'd like to welcome Jay to the show. Uh, hi, Jay. Morning, Bill. How are you? Good, thanks. Um, Jay's a compulsive gambler uh, who's recovering with the help of Gamblers Anonymous, and he's going to be talking about recovery, I guess the temptation of gambling, and some of the issues surrounding uh, the recent Melbourne lockdown today. Um, so it, it's good to have you back on the show. Uh, I think you're back. You're on the show uh, late uh, 2019. So do you want to sort of give us a, a quick, I guess, history of of your of your gambling? What what brought you to, to seek help for your gambling for a start? Well, I guess during my mid to late 40s, if you like, the I guess the gambling addiction got out way out of control. It'd been out of control for 30 years, let's be honest, but got out of control in many other ways. But it wasn't just that aspect of it. It was, it was everything in my life was a bit of a mess. You know, externally, I appeared reasonably successful, had a well-paid job that I hated, built a house that I felt was a noose around my neck, had a wife, now ex, no need to talk about her, and a bunch of kids that I loved and believed I was a good dad to. And all, all the time, all I was hoping that was ha- would happen to me is my car would go off the road and crash into a pole and I'd die. I thought mistakenly at the time that I didn't even have the courage to kill myself, to be quite honest. Uh, I wanted it to be an accident because I didn't have the courage. Not that it takes courage, and, and let me reiterate that, that takes a lot more courage to actually go out and seek help, which is what I ended up doing. And I'd done that. Uh, first, I actually done it with a local minister and I didn't like what he had to say. <laughs> um, so I just knocked that on the head and went back to gambling a little bit, but, but realised I needed help. So my next turn was to my GP, my local GP, who I had a lot of trust with. And I spoke to him and he pointed me in a direction of an, a book about addiction, uh, about drug addiction, actually, but it was still a book about addiction uh, by a New York author. And one of the chapters in there really resonated with me. And it really explained that, because I always felt it was a weakness. I was a, 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 you know, a late 40s man, wanted to control everything in my own life and, and knew I had this weakness and felt I was weak and that I was hopeless and all these things. But in the book, it talked about how addiction is actually an illness. It really is a defined illness and recognised by medical associations as an illness. And I read the symptoms of of this guy's illness and it was exactly the same. I was feeling exactly the same way. And I thought, wow. And it sort of, it was a light bulb moment in my life. So I then sought out GA off my own back. Uh, I had tried other gambling help programs, but they weren't successful. Can you just explain a bit why they weren't successful for you? 
I guess because I hadn't grasped it either. I, I still felt myself as weak. I was only doing it for my, my ex-wife. I, I was just sort of doing it for her benefit, not mine. And literally, it was around the corner from a, a gambling venue. So I would go there, have my session, and go around the corner and gamble every time. So I wasn't really committed to it. And I'm not saying that the actual program itself is no good. It was just, I, it wasn't good for me uh, because I wasn't in the right headspace either. Like I say, I wasn't recommended to GA or anything like that, but I, I needed help. And after reading that book and I thought, it's an addiction, I thought, mm, I wonder if there is a, such a thing, because I've heard of Alcoholics Anonymous, obviously, and Narcotics Anonymous, but, and they talked about that in the book because it was about narcotics in the US. And I thought, I wonder if there is. And sure enough, I looked on the website and I, and I made the decision myself. I didn't even have input with my family, my wife, or anything like that at the time. And I'd seen that there was a meeting locally, um, well, locally within 25 kilometres, which is suitable now. <laughs> um, so I decided to go, just go. And I, I went to my first meeting and walked in the doors. And I guess I had the right attitude when I walked in the doors. I'll, I'll be honest, I was one of the fortunate ones. I had the right attitude walking in because I, I actually believed I had an illness walking in there, which is one of the first steps of the program, you know, actually treating it as an illness, not treating it as a weakness. And I met the, the people there and one of the people that spoke to me, his story was so similar to mine. And all of a sudden I, I had this uh, person that I could relate to uh, and I felt really bad about you know, things that I'd done and, and he had done the same things, but he was on the path to recovery and talked about that. And, and I thought, wow, maybe this is the right place. But not only that, I also sought counselling as well for my own mental health at the time because as I say it's, it's more than just it was more than just gambling everything in my life was out of control and and there wasn't much in my life I liked so again it all it all went hand in hand the counselling also helped I'll be 100% grateful to that counsellor forever because you know the things that we talked about gave me courage as well in my life to, to make the right decisions. And, and that's the hardest thing is actually having the courage to seek help. And, and she encouraged seeking help. And she encouraged going to GA, even though they might work across purposes, they don't really, because they're both working for your own mental health and, and your own recovery and well-being. So it's that first step is the courage to actually seek help is really amazing. So I was very fortunate. My doctor started me off on that track, even though I was probably screaming out for help at the time actually acknowledging that and having the courage to do something about it rather than just sitting twiddling your thumbs or going and pretending you're getting help when you're not, you know. So it, it was a, a really life-changing moment for me from the doctor onwards because everything since then has gone leaps and bounds ahead. And, and I guess that's part of the rest of the interview. But uh, certainly uh, my life has, has changed immensely. Uh, you know, since that point. So uh, what was your family's reaction to you seeking help in GI? Uh, that, that's an interesting question. My kids, most of my kids were pretty young. My oldest son, he, he was very, I guess, encouraging about it. My ex-wife was encouraging at first because I said, look, I'm going to go to this meeting. And she said, oh, great, because she, she knew about my gambling and we'd had lots of issues over the years about it, but not only those issues. But And she said, that's great. And, and I came home from that first meeting and I was uh, effervescent. I was just over the moon because all of a sudden I found these people that knew exactly what I was going through and I could actually talk to them and talk 
with confidence that you're not getting judged, anything like that. She saw that and that first meeting was okay. The second meeting I came home and she started resenting me actually going to these meetings and having that feeling good about myself because she didn't feel good about everything uh, because of my gambling as part of it, obviously. But she said, you know, 15 years of, of punishment through gambling and all of a sudden you think you're all good, but she, she wasn't the same. And unfortunately here in Victoria, we don't have a, a gammon on where partners or, or people affected can go to. Unfortunately, that's the case, but it is what it is. So, you know, and I said to her, I said, look, you're allowed to come along as an observer if you like, but uh, I, I didn't really want that, I'll be honest, because, you know, she, she judge, judges very easily. And I, so I didn't encourage it. I did tell her about it. So I didn't hold the back from her, but I didn't encourage it. And we, like I say, we had a number of young children at home. So one of us had to be at home sort of thing. So, yeah, so she didn't take to it very well. But eventually, as I was recovering and stopped gambling and things like that, she certainly was grateful for the program in that sense. She didn't understand why I had to keep going. And I explained to her, I've got to keep going for the rest of my life. And she said, look, what if I want to do something on that night? And, you know, uh, but for the most part, once I started recovering and the gambling stopped and, and all of a sudden, you know, I was becoming a different person. Unfortunately, we didn't evolve with that. Yeah, part of it is, as, you, as we discussed before, was, is this honesty and to keep your gambling uh, hidden for so long requires you to be very dishonest. And I, I think losing credibility with people about your honesty is, is a major issue. So was that a sort of a major issue with you and your wife, that, that lack of trust? Oh, absolutely. As she had said to me sort of the first time, you know, that, that the gambling really came to the fore. The second time when you know, she wanted me to go and seek help, you know, a number of times I got caught out gambling, you know. Uh, she said, it's effectively like you're cheating on me. Just the, the gambling is a mistress, you know. And so, you know, there was so much lying, Bill, seriously, that I, I just spent all my time lying and, and thinking about lies, about lies, about lies, and, and how do I cover that lie up with this lie? And, and it was just, that it messes with your mind so much. And that's why, uh, you know, we, we talk about insomnia, in gambling and it's the biggest it, it, it's the biggest common factor with gamblers we can't c c cover up all the lies our minds are just racing with lies and, and where do we lie to get our next gambling from you know so it must have also affected your work yes it, it certainly did i did have an employer that didn't discourage lying in some ways shapes and forms uh, and he sort of trusted me to run his business basically and I did and I'd done it reasonably effective uh, and I was a good manager in a sense because I, I would have time for staff etc but my own way is I made sure I had an office with four walls rather than glass walls and I had two monitors that no one could see at any time so I, was, I had one monitor on gambling and one monitor on working and and I certainly didn't give 100% of value and, and being dishonest about it. Look, I, I was certainly dishonest in the way I acted more so than the words I spoke. That's, that's the best way I can describe it. But when I did leave that employer, I did, uh, well, actually, uh, my, my ex-wife went and told him everything. 
<laughs> about what I'd been through. And so I sat down with him and I talked to him about it. And I said, look, you know, uh, what she said is the truth. And this is what's happened over the, the period. I said, you know, I, I do believe that I was valued to you, but um, I wasn't as much value. So, you know, it, yeah, look, there were a number of hand grenades dropped to different people about me and my gambling. And I went around and, and discussed it honestly with these people and it was very freeing to be quite honest because more people knew about it the less I had to hide and less you know I, I had to go forward because most of the people that were in my gambling life apart from family are no longer in that life so you know um, and the people that I want in there know about my gambling history so yeah so I guess having friends who gambled as well was something that would is a natural occurrence. But stopping gambling, was that an issue with your friends, as you said? Yeah, they didn't believe I could do it for a start. And, and my two best friends were big gamblers, in, not as in volumes or anything. Like we used to talk about it all the time. Every phone conversation, uh, when we get together, we'd just spend the time gambling, playing billiards, having a couple of drinks. But you know, mostly social, but, you know, and my best friend in particular, I confided in him and the other friend. I said, you know, I'm going to GA. I, I'll stop gambling. I'm doing this. And, yeah, they were sceptical, if you like, you know, knowing me for 35 years of gambling, because <laughs> these have been my friends from 13 years of age. So you know, I'm now 50, 54 years old. So um, you can understand their scepticism. But over the journey, I've been going to Gamblers uh, Anonymous for nearly six years now. Uh, over the journey, they've seen me grow. And, and one of them, we've parted ways, not parted ways acrimoniously or anything like that. We just don't have much to do with each other because all he cares about is gambling, basically. He comes and sees me once or twice a year. That's about it. Uh, when he wants something, generally. Uh, my other best friend, who still does gamble, but he knows that he knows about it and I've confided and and put a lot of trust in him and he's given that trust back and and sort of he's like he's in he still owns racehorses and things like that and he'll tell me about them I'm in a position where I don't mind and I just you know he knows I'm not going to go to the races with him or or you know we don't talk about gambling he doesn't tell me about his betting or anything like that but he in fact you know he sought me out for some advice in regard to, to GA and, you know, not for himself, but for someone he knows closely that, that he believes needs help. And I was able to give him advice. And I said, look, ultimately, you know, I, I followed most of the, the things that I've learned through GA. And it was good being able to sort of, because he, he was a very good friend to me in a sense, but I, I abused that friendship during our gambling days. But now I, I feel I've, restored a lot of that and, and you know making amends is all i needed to do, do was tell him the truth about stuff and in his opinion that was making enough amends but over the last six years i've made amends a lot more in my own mind he he didn't believe he needed it but in my mind i absolutely and i feel so much better for myself by doing that it's a big part of your, my recovery so it's been great yeah, I, I think a large part of making amends is being consistent from here on. It's it's not just you know the amends. It's it's not not repeating the pattern which caused the problem in the first place is is a big one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, listen, we might take a break there. Today we're featuring uh, the singer Alice Skye, and the music is again courtesy of Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. 
song was stay in bed by alice sky if you or someone you care for is struggling with a mental illness or other disability and you need someone to talk to you can call the wellways helpline wellways helpline is a volunteer support and referral service that provides information to people experiencing mental health issues or other disabilities as well as their family friends and carers We're here to talk if you are feeling socially isolated, seeking information about mental health or mental health services, or just need someone to talk to. As a peer-based service, everyone working at Wellways Helpline has a lived experience of mental health issues or disability. 
Huawei's helpline is a national service and operates Monday to Friday, 9am to 9pm, excluding public holidays. So if you're struggling yourself or are struggling to help someone else, please call Huawei's helpline on 1300-111-500. That's 1300-111-500. Huawei supports 3CR. From every corner of the land, womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio 855am. And streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial and 3CR on digital radio. If you're interested in listening to one of our many podcasts, then either head to your preferred podcast platform, iTunes, Spotify, or just Google 3CR Living Free. On our show's webpage, you'll also find details about the Living Free Show and how to contact us. I'm talking with Jay, and we're talking about compulsive gambling and recovery through Gamblers Anonymous. So, Jay, being in Gamblers Anonymous changes the way you sort of view the world because you've got a lot of people around you who who have a common purpose and that is staying free of gambling you've got to change your way of life from pre-gambling to to not gambling so how has the pandemic affected your life in gamblers anonymous over the last six months just extend that out to about eight months <laughs> uh, it's certainly um look Everything was going smoothly, you know, we, uh, and to be honest, um, you know, it had a bit to do with the whole of the Victorian Gamblers Anonymous and doing things on behalf of them with upcoming functions and conferences. And so I, was a, I felt I was a big part of that. And then all of a sudden, everything sort of got pulled out. You know, the rug got pulled out from under us and meetings had to stop basically straight away. So there was a bit of a mad scramble and I can only, you know, the, the trustees of the RSO were amazing in what they got up and running so quickly. So uh, it changed and, and it was always a worry. I don't know how it's affected individuals. I can only talk about the people that were in my group. Uh, so we got together, some of us in, in the group I go to, and we, we talked and we said, how about we set up our own Zoom meeting and... Um, on a weekly, on the night we would normally meet and we, we just, you know, go through it. And we, we, there's two programs in GA. There's the, the STEPS program and the regular meetings. And so we set up a STEPS meeting for 40 minutes each week and invited all our fellowship to, to come to that. And our fellowship was running at about 10 to 12 people. And at first, you know, we were getting about seven or eight, nine people. And, but that dropped off pretty quickly, to be honest. Uh, to about a staple five to six people and has throughout the pandemic, basically, the same five or six people. So 
do we have worries about other people? Absolutely, we do because we are very close. Uh, we're a very close knit group, to be quite honest. I actually take it upon myself. I send out texts to everyone in our group, even the ones that haven't been there for eight months, every week, and tell them about our meeting. But you know, it's up to the people whether they want to you know, um, help themselves up with that rope or not. But that's that's just from our local group. But then the the GA Victorian based GA. They, they set up Zoom meetings every day of the week initially, and they were attended uh, well. And we started, well, some of us from our group, we started going to the ones after our meeting. And you know, at first, there was 25 to 35 people on it. And it was amazing. And there were people from all over the world coming into it. You know, people from the UK, from the US, Croatia. There were people just from all over the world. That was fantastic because we were hearing different stories but it was the same story all over the world, <laughs> believe it or not. But we were just hearing it in different accents, if you like, and, and different ways that people do things. And so it was really amazing. And, and look, the numbers have dropped off on those meetings as well. But I don't want to discourage anyone. They're still good numbers. There's still you know, as many people that get on there as you would to a normal uh, meeting of a week. So you know, I think we had about 15, 16 at the meeting last Thursday night that I went to. And... So that's a good, that's not a bad number. And they're limited to one and a half hours. So for 15 or 16 people to be able to talk about themselves in one and a half hours, that's not a lot of time. So it's probably a lot better now because you've got a bit more time to let people know. But certainly from my own personal perspective, the pandemic at first, I thought it was a godsend. I really did because all of a sudden, pokey venues are closed. So one less temptation and you can't do anything about it. You know, you can't drive 150 k's just to go to one because they're closed. So it was making life a little bit easier. And certainly through that, uh, through the first few months, it made life easy. But, you know, eventually here in Melbourne, the, the, the boredom sets in, even though I've got work to do, work at home, I've got family at home, four walls for eight months, you know, you do get bored. There's no question about it. So thoughts did come across my mind, you know, but uh, look, I had the, uh, I guess, foresight before the pandemic and way, way before that I've self-excluded from virtually everything, every form of gambling. So there's not really an option. I'm sure there's ways around it, uh, but I didn't want to go down. I didn't need to gamble that desperately. You know, thoughts would cross my mind when I was bored, but that's about it. And especially in the last month or so with the um, football finals and the the horse racing carnivals coming up, you know, you get bombarded with, with advertising, whether it be on Facebook, whether it be on television, whether it be on radio, it's just in your face all the time. And I, I think to myself, well, you know what, I've got something to turn to. I go to at least two meetings, well, I try to go to at least two meetings a week, which helps me deal with it. But these people that aren't going to meetings and, and you know, don't have that help if you like or, or aren't reaching out for that help you know i, I feel bad for them and, and the, the good thing about the meetings it, during the pandemic you know you don't have to be on video there's zoom meetings but you don't have to have your video on you don't even have to talk you can just listen if you want i, I encourage all gamblers out there to look on the ga website for the zoom meetings log in have a listen don't put your video on don't put your voice on just go and listen uh, you, you'll probably just get a question from the, the leader of the meeting, just to make sure that you're a genuine gambler, if you like. And then you can just listen and see how smoothly and how well these meetings go. Because you know what? It's, no, it's not much different than being in the room with the same people. 
but you've got more anonymity, if you like, by blocking off your camera. So I, I do encourage people to go and have a look at these Zoom meetings. Yeah. One of the things that um, I guess we've also noticed in other, other meetings is um, the number of newcomers that come. It, it's quite amazing that people will turn up to, a, to an electronic meeting that maybe wouldn't go to a face-to-face meeting. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, you know, generally you, you get new people coming all the time, which is, uh, as uh, I'm, I'm not near an old timer, six years, um, but as the older timers, the ones who've got 10 and 15 years up, they love it when new people come to meetings and it helps with their recovery and keeps them encouraged to remember back, oh, I remember my first meeting. And it does, like I say, it doesn't matter if it's an electronic meeting or a real meeting, you hear the same stories and it breaks your heart just the same and you think, I never want to go back there, you know. It, it just, yeah, basically the desperation of some of the people that are coming to these meetings, uh, it can get very emotional. Yeah. Can you still offer the same support to people who, who come to electronic meetings? It's, I know face-to-face meetings, you know, talk to people after the meeting. Is it more difficult with uh, Zoom meetings? All the tools are still there, Bill. Um, all the tools are there. There's a phone line that they can use if they need to, you know, the, because it's not confined to, let's say, one particular suburb where they might go to a meeting and they might get a phone list for the people in that suburb, it's no different. You could bring Joe Blow from your suburb and talk to them. We still offer the phone line that is manned 24 hours a day sort of thing, that, and it's on the GA website, that if you need help, ring up. Now, we encourage that all the time, to ring up, you know, uh, because ultimately... If you're in the throes of gambling and you really, really want to have a gamble, the best thing you can do is ring that number. You know, put it in as, a, as one of your favourites. If you really want the help, put it in as a favourite. And as you, you know, you're thinking about it, just press that and talk to someone. And you know, it, it might only take that one minute or two minutes or that phone call to talk you off the edge of that cliff that you might go back down. Yeah. So have you found during the pandemic that it's been more stressful for you generally? I'm very blessed, Bill, I'll be honest. Um, I'd like to say yes, but no. I've been able to work from home without any issues per se, very few issues. And it's it's funny because I live metropolitan and work regional. (laughs) So when I do have to go to the office, I have to go through the ring of steel. So um, time-wise can do it, but... Generally, I try to do that at five o'clock in the morning when the, the kids aren't very long. But uh, so I've got that. I've got a, a beautiful, supportive wife at home uh, that she's also working from home. And I'm very lucky. No, no, I, I haven't had near the stress that a lot of people have. So I'm very fortunate. And a lot of that comes from, you know, the lifestyle I live now as well. I, I don't seek the things I used to seek, if you like. I'm happy just working from home and being able to walk the dogs or go for a bike ride, uh, you know, walking with my wife, talking with my wife, eating lunch on the balcony with my wife, a lot of time with my wife. But that's a good thing. We're reasonably newlyweds, so it's pretty good. <laughs> um, and and my, my oldest son, you know, he, he's working from home as well. So he's here as well. So, you know, we've got a very, very good friend base that lives around us, which whilst we haven't been able to see them, we communicate with them all the time. We have Zoom meetings. We have Zoom parties. Uh, we had a Zoom grand final party last week. You know, we, we, you know, 
Zoom's been an amazing thing to help with that. It, it's that being able to still connect with people is really, really important. I guess that's what's taken less of the stress because I still communicate and connect with people all the time. Yeah, and there's less things that you can do. So you're more available anyway. If people want to contact you or talk to you, you're usually there, which is good, yeah. Oh, absolutely. And like there's there's people in my fellowship as well that, that I keep in contact with as well. One in particular, I told when it was allowed, I'd catch up for a coffee with him. We've had to catch up for virtual coffees occasionally. Uh, but, you know, we try to catch up and he's had different reasons, you know, health issues and things like that, where he hasn't been able to see anyone, basically. And certainly, I've, you know, look, part of the program is being of service as well. And I find that's a big, important part of the program for me. And, you know, being available to people and, you know, we, we encourage the phone list and phone numbers and whether people use them or not, we probably don't use them enough. As I say, I send out a text to everyone once a week, but, and I hope that would encourage them that if they ever needed anything, they could give me a call. We always stress that we're always available and, and especially working from home, I'm virtually available 24 hours a day. It doesn't matter if I get a call at three o'clock in the morning, I'm happy to take it. I am even when I'm working in the office, I'll be honest. I'd rather have that availability that may just save someone's life or save someone from falling over a cliff and to lose an hour of sleep or two hours of sleep, you know. Yeah. So before we are talking about, you know, considering gambling as a weakness, but understanding that it's, a, that it's an illness. So is it difficult to uh, get that message across to new members I'd rather talk about the face-to-face meetings rather than the Zoom ones because you can never tell on Zoom. It's a little bit more difficult. But a lot of the reaction, so you get a new member come in and they hear, and let's say it's someone of my age, which is, let's say, around the 50 mark. Uh, they come in and they've been the breadwinner for all their lives. They've got children. They've got a house, etc. cetera. They, they take it all on their own shoulders. So to try and get that message across to them that, you know what, you're not weak. It's an illness treat it as an illness and you might actually recover, you know, as you might from cancer, you might be able to, you know, just save it up for a while and things like that. Um, so we convey that message clearly in the meetings, but it's, it's the other parts that, that are in between the meetings, if you like, the cup of coffee, the actual interaction external to the meeting as well as the actual meeting that's really important. And that's why I talk about the actual face-to-face meetings more than the, the Zoom meetings, uh, because the stories that come out at that time, people, the penny, I know it dropped for me. That's, that's exactly, it wasn't the actual meeting. It was having a cup of coffee after the meeting and hearing stories that didn't come out at the meeting. And I thought, wow, this bloke is exactly the same as me. This bloke is, this woman is exactly the same. as All of a sudden, all these people are exactly the same as me. And I thought, yeah, maybe it is an illness. Maybe it's, I'm not just weak, you know, because, there's been a number of things in my life that I've rejected, if you like, you know, and say so religion is one of those things that I've rejected all my life because I, and then I started thinking to myself, you know, there's a lot of intelligent people out there that believe in religion, whichever religion it may be. I said, so, you know, and a lot of these people are more intelligent than I am. So why am I disputing this outright? You know, why not open your eyes? And, and a lot of GA is about being open-minded and it, it's not, a religious following or anything like that, but being open-minded about things, 
is really important when you come in. And, and part of that open-mindedness is accepting that gambling is an illness, not a weakness. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, listen, we might take another short break there. Second song was I Feel Better But I Don't Feel Good by Alice Skye, courtesy of the Australian Music Radio Airplay Project. I 
Food Not Bombs is a protest against like all the food waste. We, I guess, rescue food. That would otherwise go to waste, make meals from that food. And serves them up to people who need a feed. We make a real point at Food Not Bombs of involving everyone who wants to be involved in whichever part they want to be involved in. We need to have a working vehicle. So we do need money to keep our van going. Very occasionally we have to buy some food. To donate to our current fundraiser, go to www.chaft.org forward slash project forward slash Food Not Bombs pandemic support. Food Not Bombs is a 3CR supporter. Food Not I'm Jeffrey. I'm Alphonse. I'm Erwin. And we, we are, are from, from the Voice of West Papua. Tuesday, 6.30 until 7.30 p.m. News and music from West Papua. Uh, this is the Living Free Show on 3CR, on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. I'm talking with Jay and we're talking about recovery from compulsive gambling with the help of Gamblers Anonymous. So having a bust in GA and starting gambling again uh, is a big step. And from my understanding, it happens often in gamblers' lives when during their recovery that things occur and people have a bust, but getting back to Gamblers Anonymous is important. So have you experienced a bust in your in your life? Uh, yes, I certainly have. Um, and certainly uh, about 10 months ago, uh, I did. And to be honest, it lasted 15 minutes, all the 15 minutes and, and, you know, no excuses for it, but, you know, I was feeling a lot of stress at the time. There was a lot going on and I just, I, I turned to it and, and I was in there and I thought, wow, what, what, what are you doing? And I sort of, I walked out the doors, like I say, after 15 minutes, got in my car and, and sort of thought to myself, you know, you, you just need to hand this illness over to your higher power. You just need to trust in your higher power that you've got whatever your higher power is. And, and it doesn't have to be religious. It can be whatever it may be. It may be your car, who knows, but whatever it is, you, you just need to trust that you can't do it on your own. You need help in this program. And I was kicking myself for not turning to my higher power before walking in the doors. But you know what? I, I thought, but knowing my higher power, I have to get back. And I, so I rang immediately. I, I spoke to my wife and told her about it. I spoke to one of the people in my fellowship, told them about it, because it's, it's a really, really important part uh, you know, they talk about getting back on the horse. It's a really important part is that you admit, you know, that you've done it as soon as possible to another human being, you know, and, and that's, you know, whether you're human, your higher power is human or not, your higher power may not be a human being, so you need to tell a human being as well. So um, it was really important to me that I told my wife first and foremost because I've got a completely honest relationship with her 
uh, then I, I immediately told someone from my group because I, I, I didn't want the temptation to hide things. I thought, admit the bust, you know? Uh, you know, it's 15 minutes in your life that, you know, you've got just over five years at that time. Don't worry about it. Just stop now and just, it's a blip. Don't worry about it and get back. And I went straight back to a meeting and, and you know, a lot of people don't come back after a bus ever, you know, and God only knows what happens to those people. I worry, I do fear for what happens to those people. And some of those people can be, have good time up and they, they might have a bus and they just never come back. And I would just encourage anyone, don't be scared about coming back and admitting to your, your group that you've had a bus. It's not a capital offence. It's, it's your own personal journey through this. And if you've had a bus, you've had a bus. You're going to be accepted by your group back exactly the way you were before your bus. Don't worry about it. It's, and in fact, it can be inspirational to other members of the group for you to be able to come back and admit your failure, you know, because it is a failure in a sense. And being able to have the strength and courage to admit that, it might encourage them that if they do have a bus, they can do the same thing, especially if you continue with your recovery. Because as I say, you know, they might have seen someone or know someone who's had a bus and never come back and just turned over to gambling again. But then to see someone else do the other and accept it and admit it and come back and say, you know what, this life is much better without gambling. I may have had my little bus, but, you know, I'm, I'm back and I'm, I'm back with the program and I'm sticking to it. So... I can only encourage people and, and the amount of great feedback I've gotten back to me after admitting my bust and having the courage to admit it, uh, it was very emotional, uh, I'll be honest, uh, because that was still face-to-face time. And it was very emotional, but all I felt was love and support from my group. It really was. Yeah, it's difficult for people to acknowledge, you know, it, because of this weakness concept, that if you believe it's a weakness, then you've, you've really done something terrible but if you believe it's an illness and it's just saying well the illness has resurfaced if you like but part of gambling that I never understood was that from speaking to gamblers they say that they don't gamble for the money and so when you when you have a bust what are you what are you trying to do I can only speak about the one 10 months ago and I was just trying to forget about it all the rubbish going on in my life, basically. Um, and it was, you know, it was one main source of rubbish. And, and I was actually going to meet with this source, if you like. And I wasn't, I, I was, I guess, delaying it, trying to get my mind off it before I actually had to go through with it. It was procrastination. It was, there was, there's so many adjectives I could use. It was nothing to do with money. <laughs> Absolutely nothing to do with money. Money is just a, a source allow you to, to forget about your life for a second but it doesn't it all comes flooding back even after 15 minutes it comes flooding back but all of a sudden you've got another problem there you had all these problems before they haven't gone anywhere and now you've got another one you know and, and then you've got to as i say you've got to turn around to people and tell them about it so it, it just keeps on mounting up it, it, there's no answers in gambling <laughs> absolutely not it's funny because initially I guess when I first started gambling, it wasn't about money. And then it, it became about, it was easy money if you had a win or things like that. So it was pretty easy, especially as a kid, a teenager. Well, you know, I won X amount and this is fun. 
And then all of a sudden, it was just about the money because I really needed to get more money. I felt I needed to get more money to live a different lifestyle. And, and then all of a sudden, for 25 years or so, it was nothing to do with money. It really was nothing to do with money. It was just about forgetting about my life, trying to have this. And I'm sure other programs have the same thing, you know, um, that, that are on this show, that, that it's, it's not about actually partaking in what the addiction is. It, it's about trying to blank out another part of your life. And through the program, through the GA program, you actually address that part of your life. Yes, we're trying to rectify the gambling. Absolutely. That's the number one priority. But what we do is rebuild lives. And by rebuilding that life, the gambling is not as important as it used to be because you don't need it to you know, replace bad parts of your life because you're, you're replacing the bad parts of your life with good things in your life. It, it's an amazing program. It really is. And, and that's something that in other programs previously, even though I wasn't fully participant in them, they didn't do the same thing. It wasn't about fixing you. The, the GA program is about fixing you. And no matter what, uh, even though it's an illness, it's created by, by things in your head. Yeah. So how's life different today than when you were gambling? It's amazing. I get to sleep a full night's sleep most nights. <laughs> Even though I'm getting older and my bladder doesn't agree with me. <laughs> I, I, I used to maybe sleep from 11 p.m. to 3 a.m. at most, three or four hours a, a night because of all the dishonesty, the lies and all that. I get to sleep now. I get to do so many other things. You know, gambling is one part of your life when you're a gambler and it's an all-consuming part of your life. But now I do so many more things. I walk the dogs. Uh, I go walking. I go cycling. When we're allowed to, I go to the movies. You know, go on holidays. Life is so much fuller. You know, I, I meet with people all the time where I used to shun from people. I used to not like social activities, even though externally everyone thought, yeah, yeah, Jay's the life of the party. It was all an act. It was all just a, a facade because really all I wanted to do was gamble. I didn't want to have anything to do with these people. And this was family. <laughs> um, now I love my family. I get to spend time with my family, actually enjoying my family and being the, the me that I should have been all along. You know, uh, it just, yeah, it's, it's a different life and it's a fantastic life that I'm living. Yeah, a lot of people don't realise that, that second life that you've got, a, you're running a life that everybody sees, but then you've got this hidden life that you're trying to negotiate and work out and try to keep, keep hidden. That's a lot of work, isn't it? <laughs> you, the ducks have got nothing on you. Your legs are just going a million miles an hour under the surface. You try to keep the facade up for people. But you just you're juggling so many things, and your and it's all in your mind, and it just makes everything worse. It makes the disease worse. It makes everything in your life worse. And and you know, I got to that point where I just didn't care about living or dying because I had all these things just messing up with my mind. You know. Mm. What's the impact then of seeing gambling ads and things on TV to you these days? It's more of an annoyance than anything. It's, it, they're not temptation, but they're annoying. And it discourages me in a way because I see, and I think a lot of them are aimed at teen and young adult markets. And I think I understand all the gambling venues, et cetera, whatever they may be, they need to keep 
the, their business turning over. So they need new people coming in, new people coming in. It, it, it discourages me that they're allowed to be so blatant in their advertising and so much is advertised at pre-18-year-olds that aren't even allowed to gamble yet. And, and it's funny I say that because I probably started gambling at 13. <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, and I believe that it's happening more and more in schools or it was pre-pandemic, you know, that, that people were coming in and talking about gambling addiction and how it relates to gaming addiction because a lot of the games are set up for children, teenagers and that to uh, get them ready for gambling. Uh, and they actually get to gamble in these games, even though it may not be officially gambling it's definitely gambling because they they buy things and then they can sell those things and 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 i have one of my children used to do it and i'd explain to him that's gambling and he'd say no it's not and i would say and i would point out the factors and and fortunately i believe he's coming out the other side of it but so much the, the teenagers and that are so much more advanced than i am with computers and technology that they could hide it from me and i wouldn't know and that's what the discouraging point. And we get so many young people coming to the meetings as well, especially like you said about the electronic meetings. A lot of these people are young people that may not have walked in the doors. They might've gotten to the windows and saying, oh, a lot of old farts in here. <laughs> I, don't, I'm not, I don't belong in there. But they'll come to an electronic meeting because, and there's a wider variety of people. You know, some of us old farts still go to those meetings, the electronic meetings, but you know, there's a, there's a good range of, of people from late teens to early 20s right up to 70s and 80s, you know. So the electronic means has been really good at introducing people to GA and what we're about and how it helps, uh, like we were discussing before. One of the, um, the social media gambling stuff as well, I, I had somebody on the show who was addicted to, um, I think it was Facebook, casino sort of style where you could only lose money you could never win it you know it, it just beggars belief I just find that so hard to believe but if you understand that you know, gambling is gives you a way of forgetting the rest of your life you know of sort of having you know no thought of of those your worries then it's a very attractive thing Oh, absolutely. It just blanks out your life. And that's, that's what the, the lure of gambling is. And I guess you know, all, all the bells and whistles and sounds and all that all uh, are designed to stimulate that, to, for you to forget about your life, basically, and keep you enmeshed in what you're actually doing. You know, I'm talking specifically like you were talking about, casino games and, and such. And yeah, it's so very easy to fall in the trap. And, and again, it comes back to, it's not really about money. It's about just closing off a section of your life for a section of time. But it, it leads to so much worse things, so many more worse things than that, because all of a sudden that becomes your main focus. Yeah, and it's not a cheap thing to do. It's, um, you know, it's, it's quite expensive to do, but it, it is attractive because of that, yeah, it solves that problem of, of thinking about the things that you don't want to think about. Absolutely. But, and yet people will balk at perhaps spending $200 to go and see a psychologist for an hour, but would have no qualms in putting many more times that amount through a machine or on a horse or things like that, that might last 20 seconds or, you know, um, and be no, of no help to them. You know, it's amazing how, we need to rewire our brains 
when we stop because you just don't have that clarity to think clearly when you're in the throes of gambling. You just don't. Yeah. Getting back to sort of honesty and, and understanding that you have a problem and once you admit you have a problem, then you've sort of halved the problem anyway because you're no longer trying to hide it. So how's being honest helped you uh, get back into the into life? Oh, it's it just, again, part of the, I'll go back to the dishonest part, is you're juggling so many balls trying to keep up with your own lies. Now, if you, if you don't tell lies, you, you've got less stress in the brain. So you can think clearly. People learn to trust you. And sometimes that has to develop. And, and I've got a great example of that. I've got a son that didn't trust things that I said, even though I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know he didn't trust me to be telling him the truth or things like that, but I found out and he's an adult now. And, and, but yeah, you know, I talk to him now and he says, Oh no, no, I, I believe you. I know you're telling the truth, you know, and, and he's got full trust in me and I've rebuilt that over this period of time because I've been honest. And that is one of the best things I could ever have. My relationship with my now wife, you know, I was honest with her about everything I don't know, maybe from the, after the first month or two of meeting her, um, I, I opened up fully to her and we don't keep secrets. We, we're honest and it, it's an amazing relationship. It, it allows you to have such a great relationship where if you keep lies and all that, it, it just doesn't. And you know, in, in work, and, and I'll be honest, where I previously worked, I was encouraged to be dishonest to, to customers, if you like. Now I... Uh, I slipped back into the old habit at times, I'll be honest, uh, but I'm trying, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And especially working at home, my wife will, you know, she'll pull me up and she'll keep me honest and she'll say, is that the truth what you said to them? And I said, no, you're right. You're right. It doesn't happen often, but when it does happen, she'll pull me up and I, I, I'm grateful to her because of it. And I find that being honest with people is so much more freeing and it gives them the, they may not always like what you're being honest about, but it's so much better for them, for you, for my business, you know, for, for everything about life. It just is. I just, I wish I had known that from being a child and a teenager that being honest is freeing because I used to lie to my parents about things and, you know, as a teenager and it just, it, it kept snowballing from there. Yeah. Yeah. I think it does. <laughs> Um, if uh, there's anybody out there who'd like to know more about Gamblers Anonymous, uh, you can phone them in Victoria on 03 9696 6108 or you can go online at gaustralia.org.au for more information uh, and to get some phone contacts. So, Jay, I'd like to thank you for coming into the show and sharing your gambling and recovery story with us and talking about how Gamblers Anonymous has helped. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bill, for having this program on. We appreciate it. No worries. Uh, I hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll feature a guest from Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, thanks for listening. Stay safe. Stay tuned for more Radical Radio on 3CR Community Radio.